Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for this leadership series where we're talking about eight qualities of great leaders. Hey, we all lead someone somewhere and we hope the quality that we talk about today will help you lead better tomorrow. Before you sign off, don't forget to check in at branchlife.church. We'd love to hear from you and stay to the end of this talk. I've got some more information before you go. I hope you enjoyed today's leadership quality. Good morning. Thank you for joining us in person and online. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Branch Life Church. If this is your first time visiting with us in person or watching uh, one of our messages, we are so glad that you've connected with us. And I, I personally want to welcome you and say, hey, don't forget to do that check-in. Uh, the check-in is for everyone online or in person, everyone who's new and everyone who's been here every week. And you can do that on that QR code at any time. We're in the middle of a series called Lead, where we're talking about eight qualities of influential leaders. And today, we're on quality number four, and it is October 1st. What is happening? <laughs> where is time going, right? How in the world did we get here? I am willing in sweater weather and autumnal colors, right? That's, that's my plan today. And I, I, we're super excited uh, about the fall and, and continue on continuing on with the series. Here's the idea behind the series. We all believe we have God-given influence to leverage for kingdom impact. We believe every single one of you and, and all of us have God-given influence to leverage for kingdom impact. Now, you might be sitting there going, who, me? I have leadership potential? I have influence to leverage? Now, Pastor Josh, just wait a minute. You don't know me very well. I don't have the personality or the skill or the dashing good looks to be a leader in, in any way, shape, or form. I'm just good just taking care of me and being in the background. As a matter of fact, I don't think I could lead well. Today, at the risk of sounding a little bit like a self-help motivation session, I want to encourage you with this thought. All of God's giants have been weak people. All of God's giants have been weak people. When I was in first grade, the teacher did something that I think most, te most first grade teachers try to do, and they started uh, reviewing and introducing to us letters, right? A goes ah, B goes B, C goes I'm not really sure, I didn't do well. And there, there was this whole thing that was happening where they were trying to get us to start to learn how to read. And the rest of the class was starting to put letters and phrases together. And, and I was realizing in first grade that hooked on phonics did not work for me. And I was, I, I was falling behind. And so one day we were driving in our car and my, my parents or my mom or somebody said, hey, look at the cows out there. They're being funny. And I said, cows? What cows? And they said, the cows right out the car window. And I'm like, there's no cows over there. And they're like, what do you see? I'm like, I see black and white bushes. And they're like, we need to go get his eyes checked. 
And so uh, we went to get my eyes checked, and, and I had the eyes of a 107-year-old. Like, it was, it was really bad. And so in fourth grade, I got the opportunity to get extra thick glasses that I began to wear around. I did not want to see the rims of those glasses, so I personally chose the largest glasses you could find to put them on my face so that when they were on, I didn't see the rims, and, and which was not cool, by the way, and it didn't help in any cool points. I wore rec specs from elementary through middle school. If you know what those are, again, not cool, and if you looked at my eyes a certain way, one would be bigger than the other because the lenses were different sizes. It was one of those things. I purposely did not show a picture of myself in elementary because this was my newfound situation. Now, everyone thought problem solved. We're going to get him up there. He's going to now be able to see the board, follow along with the letters, learn what C says, you know, and then go on from there. The problem was, for the next three years, I still wasn't getting the letters. I still wasn't getting the letter combinations. And I remember, and this has happened to me all my life, I'll get to a point where I'm trying to figure out letters or numbers, and I just start hitting myself on the head because I think maybe if I shake my brain up, it might fix what I'm trying to see on the page or on the board or on the screen. And, and it turns out that, that I had a, a, a learning disability somewhere in the dyslexic family and it was causing me to fall behind and my reading level was really low. My spelling abilities to this day, I spell at the level of a first grader, which is not very good, right? And, and I just, if I, you show me the word 100 times, I'm going to forget it 101 times. Like it just, it's, there's something that doesn't come together unless I try to shake my brain. Now, if you ask me what I, wanted, what I was going to do with the rest of my life in my elementary years, right, every single one of my teachers, God bless their hearts, first, second, third, fourth, just did everything in their power to get me to pass the spelling test. I failed every single one, right? I'd write these papers in college, and they'd be just red ink all the way through. My spell check sweats to this day. Like, it's a, it's a, it sees me coming and groans, right, when I'm getting ready. So pray for our administrators around here. They have to look through every email. Uh, if you said to me, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? Uh, God's going to call you to, to be a professional at this book. For, for a living, you're going to read and write and speak using letters and words. And you're going to have to keep them in order. And they're going to have to make sense to people. No way. That's never going to happen. I'm not that skilled. I'm not that gifted. I don't have that ability. And so maybe for you, for, for, you don't think this is a big deal, but it's a big deal for me every week when I say, hey, turn with me in your journals. Let's do it. Turn with me in your journals to, to page 8 or in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2, and let's read today's text together, and I'm going to read it for you out loud, which when I was in elementary and middle school, was one of the hardest things you could ask me to do. Let's read it together. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, points, right? When wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face not be sad when the city and the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? 
I just read that out loud in front of a room full of people. <laughs> Don't give me your pity applause, right? Like, <laughs> like it's really, it's, it shouldn't be that big a deal. For me, that's a big deal. For me, that's, that's a weakness that God has allowed me to overcome. And it's a way that I can uniquely say before, the, before all of you in, the, in front of the masses, oh, but for the grace of God. Oh, but for the power of God, can we overcome our weaknesses in our lives to do what only he could ask us to do? And God is in the business, the regular business, of creating giants out of weak people. God, God takes our weakness and our brokenness. God takes our flaws and our mistakes and our, our dirty, rotten past. And God can form some great things out of all of those things. So that someone like Hudson Taylor, who came from very, very humble beginnings, can be used by God to spread the gospel around the world. And Hudson says, like all of us, any of God's giants have always been weak people. Let's, let's look at some of the giants in Scripture, right? Moses was adopted. Some of you maybe have put yourself in this situation. I, I, I came from a broken home. I grew up in the foster care system. I don't know who my parents are. I was abandoned. I, I've been adopted. I just don't have the advantages that other people have when they grew up. Yet Moses, an adopted young man, was used to change the world. Peter was impulsive. Maybe you said, I can't lead because I say dumb things, right? And everybody, a bunch of wives just went, amen, right? <laughs> I, I don't think before I speak and I just say stuff and it comes out wrong and, and I just, I, I tend to like break things before I fix them and I, I'm super impulsive. Ruth was a widow. I, I start, I get a little emotional just because of our recent past, but my sister-in-law is a widow at the age of 44. Like, what, what could God do? Well, look at the story of Ruth. Man, one of the heroes of our faith. A widow. Jo Jonah ran as far away from God as he possibly could. God said, go that way. And Jonah said, I'm going that way. And how many of you were like, I, God will never use me because for a large period of my life, I rejected God. I, I, I set God aside. I ran away from God. So God doesn't, doesn't want me. I missed my chance. Nope. God used Jonah. He can use you. David was the youngest. And we all know that the youngest in the family doesn't amount to much, right? He was the young. I'm the youngest of, of five. So I'm, I'm pot on the kettle black. David was the youngest of 12. Yeah. So he, you know, he was forgotten after six, seven, and eight. Gideon had very little faith, but was asked to lead an army. Abigail had an unhealthy marriage. Some of you might say, I, I can't do much for God because my marriage is a mess, right? Like, my home life is a mess, and, and I just can't get this stuff in order, and I don't know if God's ever going to use me. And I want to tell you right now, God uses messy people. God uses people in messy relationships. Disciples, they were all fishermen and tax collectors and nobodies. And they changed the world. Rahab was a harlot. God, you, Josh, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I used to do. I, I actually used to hurt people. One of my heroes in life, uh, my dorm dad, has stories about how he used to get in bar fights. And forks ended up in people's flesh. Like, it was stuff like that. And he, he was a good guy in my life, right? The guy with the fork in his arm doesn't think so. But God, God can redeem our past. 
Zacchaeus, he was just short, right? <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't be used by God. I can hardly see over the steering wheel, right? That was Zacchaeus. He was also a thief and a liar, but God used him. God used Nicodemus even though he was ashamed. Even though Nicodemus snuck to meet Jesus in the dead of night because he didn't want anyone else to see him. Sarah was old. So I'm past my prime, Pastor Josh. I can't, I can't, I can't get there. Because when Sarah heard the angel, overheard the angel say she's going to have a baby, and she was in her 90s, she laughed out loud, and she goes, old people don't have babies. Like, God doesn't do that kind of stuff. And God said, watch me. Watch what happens. I'm going to use someone even if they're old. Mary was young. Mary was barely even a teenager, right? She got betrothed to, jo to Joseph, and they started, I almost said to Jonah. That's really mixing up our stories. Mary got betrothed to Joseph, and, and then she was now found out to be pregnant, a, a virgin birth that she was going give, give, to uh, give birth to Jesus, and she was, she was just a teen used by God. And Thomas was a doubter, yet he traveled the known world and saw thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to Christ. All of God's giants have been weak people because the number one quality that God looks for in the people that he uses is not what their strengths are or their good looks or their smashing personalities. He looks for your weakness. He looks for your shame. He looks for your foolishness. And he says, I can take your weakness. I can take your shame. I can take your foolishness. And I can produce from that God-glorifying leaders. Why? Because then they will stand up in the crowd and say, I, there's no way I could do this on my own. I must have done it through God's power and God's power alone. All glory to God the Father. God uses the weak to shame the strong. He uses the foolish to shame the wise so that none of us would be able to stand before the crowd and boast in our strength, but we boast in the Lord and in the Lord alone. Maybe you're sitting here today going, God could never make me an influential leader. I'm too weak. That's where you are supposed to be. Now, what makes you you? Have you ever thought about that? And again, this isn't all self-help Oprah stuff. This is simply this, this truth that God created you to be you. And one of the marks of an influential leader is that you are authentically and genuinely who God created you to be. You don't have to pretend to be someone else. You don't have to adopt someone else's quality traits or characteristics to be an effective leader. You have everything you need to be an effective leader. So what makes you you? And so many times when we answer that question, we go automatically to our strengths, to our talented, to our talents, to our smarts, to our smashing sense of humor and our dashing good looks. And we present the best side of ourselves. It's our social media side. It's our Instagram page side. It's the side that we want everyone to see. And we hide the, the parts of us that are not flattering. We hide the parts of us that are weak and are flawed. But have you ever thought about what makes you you? Of course, your weakness, your strengths, your talents, your smarts and personality, your health and accomplishments makes you you and makes for a great resume. But who you are is more than your strengths. It is also your weaknesses. It's also your flaws and your limitations, your mistakes and your sickness and your failures. All of those things combine to make you who God has created you to be. This summer, I met a young man named Aaron. Aaron spoke at a conference where I was speaking at to teenagers. And Aaron uh, has a disability. He was born with spina bifida. 
And for so many people, there's different levels of spina bifida. There's different levels of birth defects that people have. Some people could be born with autism. Some people could be born with uh, uh, addictive personality. Some people could be born uh, with Down syndrome. He was born with spina bifida, and he had, he had a, a pretty severe case in that he couldn't use his legs well at all without the assistance, the full assistance of a walker. And so he had this kind of like raceway walker that helped supported his weight so he could flip his legs around and, and start moving and walk and he drags one foot behind him. Physically, Aaron is very limited. And Aaron has a, a sharp mind and he has a, a, a fun personality. And his dad saw this when he was in high school and it came time to drive and Aaron couldn't drive a real car. So his dad modified a street legal car that Aaron could actually drive and get licensed to use. And the way that he ended up making this car is it looked like a giant rocket ship with a dome driving down the road. Aaron uh, got in this car and he started driving down the road and he, at first he was all down on himself because of his limitations and he couldn't drive the cars that other people drove. But when he got into the rocket ship and he started driving the rocket ship, he realized he was the only rocket ship on the road. And that everybody else thought that his car was the cool car. Everybody wished they had a rocket ship, but they couldn't. You know why? They didn't have spina bifida. He was the only one that could use and drive that car because he, it was built uniquely for him. And he felt like a superhero in that rocket ship. And when he was a teenager, he said that this love from his father, this building of this unique car, caused him to look at his spina bifida, his weakness, in a totally different way. Instead of seeing it as a flaw, instead of seeing it as something that held him back, he saw it as a privilege. He saw it as an opportunity to be uniquely who God created him to be, and he could become a superhero of sorts because of his special power of spina bifida. God could do something through him that he couldn't do through other people. And so now Aaron has spent the last 15 to 20 years traveling the country, talking to teenagers, giving them this simple message. God has made you uniquely you to use you in a unique way, and you are a superhero in God's hands. You're a superhero in God's hands. And Aaron introduced a term that I want to introduce to you today because I haven't forgot it. He called his spina bifida a terrible privilege. He said, I, I, have, a, I have a terrible privilege. Is spina bifida terrible? Yes. Is it a part of this broken world? Yes. Does it make life difficult and hard? Have there been surgeries and season of sickness? Does he have to have someone else carry his stuff when he walks from room to room and, and from place to place? Yes, all of those things are true. And it is hard and it is difficult and it makes for some discouraging dark moments and dark feelings and dark seasons. But yet at the same time, because of the spina bifida, does Aaron have a unique privilege to do what only he can do to build the kingdom of God in only the way that he can build the kingdom of God as he speaks to teenagers, as he uses his gifts and talents and his weaknesses to glorify the God in heaven, to do something spectacular? Yes, that's a privilege. That's a unique privilege that if he would have to go back again and he was presented a menu of options before he was born. 
And the menu of options said stunning good looks, blonde hair, 20-20 vision, and spina bifida. Which one would you pick? He's not 100% sure, but he'd be really tempted to pick spina bifida. Why? Because God can do something amazing in our weakness. Remember these promises, right? When you think about your terrible privilege, what's the thing that is hard for you, that's difficult for you, that's a problem and an obstacle for you, the thing that you've complained about or, or lamented, the thing that discourages you and, and causes you, like me, to say, you know what, you know what the best case scenario for me would be? If you're going to give me a book and tell me to read it by a certain time or ask me to write an email using all these words, most of the time I just want to lay my head on the pillow, grab a blanket, put it over my head and say, I give up. I'm just going to lay here right now. That's too hard. That's too much, right? I can't. What is your terrible privilege when you have something that caused you just to want to lay down and throw in the towel? Instead of throwing in the towel, remember these incredible passages in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, God chooses the foolish to shame the wise. God chooses the foolish to shame the wise. Maybe you have the ability to speak in front of people and encourage them, but you aren't because you're too busy running on your two good legs. And Aaron has said, I can do this, even in spite of my terrible privilege. And to all the rest of us, we see that if he can do it, so can I. God uses, God, 2 Corinthians 12, 12 verse 9 says, his power is made perfect in your weakness. Wow. The weaker I am, the more powerful God is. The more that I can't, the more that God can. And his power is made perfect in my weakness. Romans 8.28, for God works, what's these words? All things together for good to those that love him. This is a promise for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, a promise that is all-inclusive. In other words, if you're a part of the family of God, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, not if you're religious, not if you've been baptized, if you are a true follower of Jesus, you have been born again, then this promise is for you. All things work together for good, all things, even spina bifida, even dyslexia, even, even addiction, even uh, uh, ADHD, even, even, even loss of a job, even difficult circumstances, even being a widow or someone who's adopted, all things work together for good to those that love God. It's a terrible privilege. It's a terrible privilege. Remember Isaiah, Isaiah 40, verse 28 and 31. Men will fall in exhaustion. Amen? Anybody tired lately? But those who trust in the Lord will find, what's the word? New strength. I think I read the words new strength for the first time this week. Now, I've read Isaiah 40 hundreds and hundreds of times. And this, this is Isaiah 40, 29, 31. And, and, and he, let me explain to you why I've missed new strength all these times. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Amen. Even youths will become weak and tired, and men, young men will fall in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find, say it with me, new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. And then this Philadelphia kid goes, eagles! Yeah! 
go birds, right? We're going to soar on wings as eagles. This is going to be amazing. Let me talk to you about eagles. And I'm all about the eagles and the flying and the soaring. And we're going to take off when we just least expect it. And, and I just blew past this incredible truth about new strength. God's going to give you, when you can't do it anymore, new strength. When you get the diagnosis that takes the wind out of your sails, get ready because here comes God's new strength. When you lose the job and you're trying to find the next one, remember this, God's going to give you new strength. When you're pregnant again, right, and you've got to raise another kid or the first one, God's going to give you new strength. When we are weak, he is strong. And there's something amazing about the promise of new strength. Aaron, when he leads, leans in on the new strength from God, doesn't have to worry about walking with a walker. Why? Because he's literally soaring on eagle's wings. That's what happens in our weakness. So what's the character trait of influential leaders? The character trait of genuine, authentic influential leaders is this. With God's help, influential leaders turn obstacles into opportunities. Influential leaders turns obstacles into opportunities. This is what separates leaders from followers. We see an obstacle, we see a hurdle, we see a problem, we see a disadvantage, and we turn it into our advantage. Why? Because God can do all things. Because God takes all things and works them together for good. I can do all things through Christ who gives me new strength. And so if there's an obstacle in my way, if there's a day that's fallen apart, if there's an unplanned, unscheduled diagnosis, unplanned, unscheduled change of plans, I can take that change and instead of falling apart, instead of lamenting, instead of hovering in fear, instead of grabbing my sheets and saying, I can't spell another word, we say, God, let's go. Let's see what we can do with this new chapter, this new opportunity. How can we give you, all of us, and what is, how is your power going to be displayed in our weakness? And so when the world falls apart because COVID and everyone can't do what we used to do and if everything's changing and we start fighting with each other and we start giving, wanting things our own way, instead of saying, hey, let's... Let's stop fighting with each other. Let's understand that this is a real obstacle and see what is the opportunity that the church has to love God and love neighbor. And we as a church have had in this season, and I'm talking about universal church, have had in this season the greatest opportunity to love our neighbors ever in our lifetime. And can we see for one second, yeah, we can fight about the politics and the science of it all, but there's a lot of hurting people. There's a lot of stressed people. There's a lot of neighbors that are fearful. There's a lot of people that are in desperate need, and now they can't buy things because of inflation, and we're still trying to figure all this stuff out. What if the church became the church, and we started meeting those needs and started loving those neighbors, and we used the opportunity, the, the obstacle to be an opportunity to shine brighter for Christ? And churches that said, hey, let's go all in with loving God and loving neighbor, no matter the obstacle. Let's, let's care for those that are sick and dying and hurting. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus, have been able to see God do far more than we can ask or imagine. Now look at this in our story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Fascinating moment. Nehemiah heard about Jerusalem. He was devastated. 
So he did the first, the, the second and third thing influential leaders do. He prayed, then he prayed again. He spent days fasting and praying and mourning. And after that time of prayer, he found himself in the presence of the king. And look at, look at this. In the month of Nisan, the 12th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was before him, that, that was before the king, I'm the one that took the wine and gave it to the king. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. So every time the king wanted wine and the king liked his wine, Nehemiah would bring him the wine. He'd taste it to make sure he wasn't poisoned. He'd breathe again, thankful for the next breath, and he'd give the king his wine. And so the king and Nehemiah ended up being in each other's presence quite a bit of the time. But there's nobody, nobody volunteering to be the cupbearer to the king. Why? It is bad job security to drink poisoned wine. And if you don't drink the poison wine and you give it to the king, you're in just as much trouble, right? And so Nehemiah is this expendable servant that can be thrown out at any time. His life could be lost and it wouldn't matter. And he's just living this horrible day. So people say, what's your job? I'm the cupbearer of the king. Oh, wow. Hey, sorry, man, right? And some of you are out there going, yeah, I hate my job too. I am an accountant, right? Like, I count numbers for a living. What could I do with that? Yeah. Some of you are like, uh, I have one job and it's all 30 kids that I take care of every day and I just can't barely get through the day. Some of you have one kid and you can't get through the day. Some of you guys, some of you guys are out there going, I, I hate my job. Like, it pays the bills, but it's awful. And, and, and what we realize in this moment for Nehemiah and for some of us is sometimes our job is a weakness, right? This was his obstacle. This was his nobody can do anything with this. This was his terrible privilege. Was it terrible to risk your life every day? Yes. Was it a privilege to be in the presence of the king? Yes. And God can use his weakness to do something that only he could do. And because of his weakness, being a cupbearer, he was in the presence of the king and the king knew him. And they had this conversation that we all have. What's wrong with you? Has anyone walked, maybe it's your spouse, right? And they walk into the house and they come in for dinner and they go, what's wrong with you? You're not sick. What happened? Tell me what happened. I'm fine. You're not fine. No, I swear I'm fine. You're not fine. Okay, I'm not fine. Like it's been a terrible day and this happened. And that's what was going on with Nehemiah. And the king knew Nehemiah so well that he said that you're, something's wrong with you. And when Nehemiah realized that the king was focusing his attention on him, you do not want the king to focus on you, he got scared. He got really afraid. Now think about this logically for a second, right? Why was Nehemiah so scared? Why was he scared? Didn't he just spend days and days and days praying? He was in the presence of the king of the universe. He was talking to God. And when God answered the prayer, he got scared. How many of you have ever been scared after you prayed? Don't raise your hand. No, raise your hand. How many of you have ever been scared after you prayed? Does that make sense? When I talk to the, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God of the universe who can move mountains with a thought, right, and says, I can move mountains with faith of a mustard seed, when I enter into the presence of that God and I lay my burden, my problem, my concern at the feet of God, why in the world do I keep picking it back up? 
God, here's my burden. Please take it and do with it what you will. And thank you so much. I'm just going to take that back again and put it in my pocket. And I'm so scared right now. I'm scared for my kids in this world and how they're going to grow up. And I'm just so worried about them. And, and God, here you go. And we go, oh, God's got it. Okay, now I want it back. And I'm scared again. Why worry? Why be afraid when the God of the universe is handling it? You know, I heard worry explained like this, I think, in Star Wars. Worrying is just suffering twice. And, and, and Nehemiah, even though he had given it to God, was standing here in fear. And how many of us have been in emotional distress, distress that paralyzed us? We said, I'm, I'm too sad to do it. I'm too nervous to do it. I'm too afraid that something might go wrong. I, I, you just don't understand the emotions that I'm feeling in this moment. And sometimes our feelings betray the reality of what's going on. And our fear can immobilize us. But even in this moment, even in this fear, which happens to all of us, I pray every week that these talks would go well. I pray through them. I pray over them. I pray before them and after them. I, I, last first thing I do in the morning on Sundays is spend some time praying for this. And yet I come up every service and I'm, I'm scared. It's not going to go well. And if it went well the last time, I'm nervous it's going to fall apart the second time. And we've already done it once. Why? Because our fear can overtake us. Nehemiah was scared and then he said to the king, let the king live forever. Why, not should I, why shouldn't I be sad? The city... And then he got a little dramatic here. The city where my father is buried, right? <laughs> Come on, Nehemiah, laying it on pretty thick, right? The city where my father's graves lies in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The third thing that Nehemiah had going on in this passage was his circumstances were falling apart. He had a massive problem that was overwhelming him, and he couldn't stop thinking about it. How many of us have been there? And we have this massive issue, this massive trauma, this massive uh, thing that's happened to us, that was done to us, that, that we, it was out of our control and it's taking place. And I just, wish, I just wish it wasn't, but it is. And now I just can't stop thinking about it so much so that people keep asking me if I'm fine and I'm not fine. And these circumstances were overwhelming him. And what we see in this moment, what we can learn in this moment, what we can be encouraged by in our own leadership in this moment is that your weakness cannot stop God. Amen? Your fear cannot stop God. Amen? And your circumstances cannot stop God. What is the obstacle you need God to overcome? What is your weakness? What is your flaw? What is your piece of the past that you need to say, God, this is a hurdle in my life. I've been using this as an excuse. I've been mad about this. I've been mad at you about this. This is something that I complain about on a regular basis, God. This is the thing that's been stopping me, but I want you, God, to take this obstacle and I want you to use it in the only way that you can. Would you make this obstacle, this weakness, an opportunity? Would you somehow turn it into strength for the kingdom of God? What is, what is that fear that's been holding you back? Even though you've prayed about it over and over and over and over again. And what is that circumstance that you need God to solve? What's that problem that you need him to fix? 
God is in the business of taking weak people and doing incredibly strong things. Basically, what we're asking this morning is, what is your terrible privilege? What is your terrible privilege? And how can God uniquely use you to impact the kingdom of God, the world for the kingdom of God? Because God wants to create a superhero out of you. So many of us spend a lot of time praying for our terrible privilege to go away. God, take this away. God, lift this from me. God, would you relieve me of this problem of this pressure? And I want to leave you with this prayer that we see in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. It says, Paul, three times a day I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, his thorn in the flesh, his terrible privilege. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. God, fix my unhealthy marriage. My grace is sufficient for you. God, fix my financial distress. My grace is sufficient for you. God, fix my rebellious child. My grace is sufficient for you. God, I want this to go away. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, the weak one, will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Maybe instead of being mad, angry, upset, sad, or throwing in the towel, we should say, God, thank you for my terrible privilege. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardship, with persecution, with calamities, with problems and disaster. For when I am weak, then God is strong. And today, maybe the place that we start is handing God over our obstacle, handing God over our weakness and saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for my flaw. Thank you for my circumstances. Thank you even for my fear. And help me, Lord, to use them for you. Because, God, we thank you because when I am weak, you are strong. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up and help us with this response today. We're going to pray over this moment and then encourage you to continue that prayer through song today. Would you take your terrible privilege and offer it to the Lord so that he could use you in a powerful way? for the kingdom of God. God, Heavenly Father, as we, as we gather here today, we realize that, yes, you have given us so much, but, Lord, we are also weak. God, that we carry with us a past, a flaws. We carry with us uh, hurt and disaster that are part of this broken world. And, and we come to you, God, and we ask forgiveness for complaining or for anger or for fear because of these things. And God, we, we ask today in boldness that you would do something great with our weakness. And God, that you would change our perception, that you would change our processing of those flaws and those hard times in our lives so that, God, we would not only be able to excel through them and because of them in your power, but be grateful for them. God, I thank you for my weakness because I know that in my weakness, you are made strong. Together, let's pray the prayer through the song Gratitude. You can stand if you like.
Hey guys, I hope that that was an encouragement to you. I hope that the quality we talked about today will help you be a better leader tomorrow. And before you log off, we'd love to connect with you. The best way to do that is to go to branchlife.church and check in. You can also make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel or to follow us online. Wherever you are connected, we'd love to connect with you. We hope to see you next time as we dive deeper into leadership.